0: Welcome to the Voyager podcast hosted by Chris Fick and Brad Alexander, a podcast about authentic faith and unlikely places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope you're encouraged. Hey, welcome back to Voyager season two. My name's Brad Alexander. I'm here with Mr. Chris Fick. Hello. <laughs> we're, we've tried to carry on the intro corkiness, but I think we've reached the end yeah. of what we can do with that. Right. But Hello. <laughs> we have a special guest today, and I'm going to have Pastor Fick intro him, and we're really excited about it. So Chris?
1: Yes. Yes. A fellow Chris is who uh, we have today with us. I, uh, this Chris Price is a good friend of mine. He's near and dear to my heart we met what 5 years ago yeah, 6 five, years ago
2: something 5 really? years yeah mm-hmm. 6 yeah around
1: there and uh i just saw god do a dramatic transformation in chris's life and and the life of his family mm-hmm. and um it's one of my favorite stories uh i actually got to fly to north carolina to see him get ordained they f- Flew me out. That's so good. And we got to hang out. And so I just, and we've been looking forward to this and they happen to be in town. So we get to do it <laughs> yeah. around the table together, which is the best. Yeah, so, totally. Say hi, Chris. What's up, guys?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're stoked. You're someone that we've talked about having on and the opportunity. We could do a phone call, but it's always cooler to be able to hang out at a table like this. Yeah, so. I
2: think it would definitely We're just help.
0: stoked. You have like the look, man. <laughs> Certain people have the face tattoos. Where I'm like, I get it. I wish I had a face tattoo. Yeah. Other people, I'm like that.
1: Hmm,
2: hmm. <laughs> you're a SoundCloud rapper. Yeah,
0: yeah. The post Malone thing. That's why I've heard
2: that before. Like, oh, you're like a Sound. Uh, right.
0: But um, yeah. I think the way we usually like to start these is just to go back to the beginning and get to know kind of. Who someone is and what makes them them, and mm. then get into formative years and and how God grabbed a hold of them and what God did after you know, so let's go back. I think you grew up in North Carolina. I've heard
2: Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, but right, South right Carolina. Here, yeah.
0: Okay, so can you kind of give us the view from ten thousand feet? What was like your childhood like and growing up in South Carolina?
2: I like a pretty traditional American middle class upbringing. You know, both both parents in the home. Um, Steady job, steady employment, you know, good. uh, One sister, three years older than me, uh, good grandparents, really active in my life. So just really like, I mean, if you had that cookie cutter, this is American life, you know, like in the 40s or 50s that were on the flyers that everybody was advertising, you know, trying to push that kind of um, agenda. That was really kind of it, real, just semi-suburban, rural area, small town. So it was good.
0: What is like, uh, growing up in Orange County, it's like, Growing up in a small town is probably, like, the further – Like, I grew up in yeah. the suburbs, but I'm sure, like, influence. What is growing up in a small town like? So, like-
2: I, I'd say, like, y- 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 y'all's uh, surfing, skating. That's That whole scene would translate more fishing, hunting. Oh, cool. Four-wheeling, that type of, of style. The, more the y'alls have come back since yes, Chris the y'alls went back are. to
1: the south. So, if you can hear some y'alls, that's You'll, that's you'll, get, the you'll south. get a few for sure. I yeah. love it.
0: Yeah. Is it, like, communities like that where – like what you see in movies where everyone kind of knows each other, or is it not really like that?
2: Greenville wasn't really that way. Where we live now definitely is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those smaller areas where – you see everybody that you know. So, like, if you if if you slip up and make a mistake, everybody knows about it, and so you're kind of the talk of the town for a little while.
1: Go see everybody at the Bojangles.
2: Yeah, exactly. Go go <laughs> go to Bojangles or or Calvert's little diner there where you had yeah I, some I grub loved, too. I loved the Bojangles, man. Bojangles like, is the bomb, dude. I'm craving it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, hunting and fishing, so is that what you were
2: into? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Hunting, fishing, uh, raced motocross, so I was kind of in that. But that's not really, I guess, stereotypical for that area more, but definitely the hunting, the fishing, that the outdoor-type lifestyle for sure.
0: Did you have a religious foundation
2: as a kid? So, you know, I grew up going to church. Um, uh, I went to church with my parents, went to church with my grandparents, but there was no, like – there was no root or anything there. There was no relationship. Uh, I, I think it was really light more. Um, my parents' background is more the, the 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 liberal side of Christianity, so it wasn't really pushing anything on people or really trying to delve into truth or doctrine very deep, just more of kind of, oh, it's more like a social club, really, aspect-type mm. dynamic there. And then my grandparents' was a, a real traditional Southern Baptist church um, where I know the gospel was preached, but... It uh, was just kind of hanging out there. Had family, friends, and stuff like that that we we all knew. My grandparents' parents had actually planted that church.
0: Oh no, kidding! Uh,
2: so yeah, it was. I, I was definitely around the culture, but never in it. That's what
0: I've kind of heard about the Bible Belt. Is it's mm. very common to like go to a church, but a lot of people are like, but the, oh, theology yeah. wise, like. I didn't know what was going on. It was more just like, that's what you do because that's what you do.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it, it was really, I mean, everybody went to a church. I mean, all all of your friends went to a church. I mean, that was what you did on Sunday morning. Very, very much the cultural aspect of Christianity.
0: Mm. What were high school years for? for you like um,
2: I guess I was like a stereotypical jock. I mean, played football, was, you know, on track, had a lot of friends, hung out, partied, drank, smoked, experimented with drugs, started getting into that kind of stuff. I mean, very typical Friday Saturday nights, you were always at parties, you know, with kegs and drinking and chasing girls and just living the the like, again, yeah, really it's it's almost cliché when I look back on it. Like it really <laughs> yeah. was the cookie cutter like American upbringing. Uh, on the East Coast and the South. I mean, that was very much, uh, I think one thing that stands out differently there for me is the, the family dynamic. You see it a lot more like in Los Angeles or Latino cultures mm. where the, the families are real close. You know, the cousins, the grandparents, the parents, like everybody's there together. So there was definitely that aspect of things growing up that I remember from my childhood.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We don't, Carlsbad, maybe I've noticed a little more South Orange County, though, like you don't even know your neighbors. Right, right. Like, yeah. No one talks
2: to each other. Right.
0: Everyone's like, I pull into my garage, I shut the garage yeah, from my yeah. car. Like, don't, don't talk to me. But yeah.
2: Well, when we were stationed here, I mean, that's exactly how it was for even on base. Like, I didn't know who lived next door. I didn't really care at that point. I was just, this is my home, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: So you were in the military did was mm-hmm. that like right out of high school
2: or? No, actually uh, I I uh, I got a job welding right out of high school was a, so let me back up a little bit was a Harley mechanic for a few years I actually got certified as a Harley mechanic right when um the motorcycle mechanics institutes were coming out. So that was kind of like the pipeline that I was going to go down but I was already working in our local Harley dealership at the time uh wiping down bikes when the mechanics got done working on them and uh, our shop foreman heard that I was looking at going to the institute, and he's like, Well, we'll just certify in house, like we've always done. That translated into watching like 96 VHS videos that were three hours long a piece, and then taking written tests and sending them into Harley. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I mean, I was a certified Harley mechanic before I graduated high school, um, but did that for a little bit, uh, wasn't making a whole lot of money. It was fun, but then um, the actual lead foreman for the shop pulled me aside one day. I was like, is this really what you want to do with your life? I'm like, dude, I'm riding other people's Harleys for a living and, and turning wrenches on. It's pretty legit to me. Um, he's like, well, I'm only making, you know, this amount of money, and I've been doing it for 35 years. So you might want to look at something else. Uh, and so wow. I went down to Charleston, welded for a while. Um, so it was probably three years after I graduated high school I ended up enlisted in the Marine Corps.
0: That's, like, actually really cool that – he took you off to the side like that. Yeah. Just to say like, Hey, really
2: was. Yeah. Cause I mean, I I loved it. Like I was, this was what I was going to do with my life. I was going to turn wrenches, ride Harleys and that was it. Um, but yeah, he was, he was really gracious. It's always stuck out to me too. Cause he was a really good mechanic, very well respected by the shop and stuff. I always looked up to him. He taught me a lot about wrenching on bikes. And, um, that, that one day at lunch, he's like, you sure about this, dude? Like, you really want to try to raise a family on this and, and do this for your life? Like you're young. You can still pick something different. You can do a different, uh, go a different road. And so that's what I ended up doing.
0: I imagine that motorcycle culture, like a lot of cultures, like skateboarding culture, and people are like, I just want to work in skateboarding. And it's like, dude, that career can be really hard.
2: Yeah, yeah. Only
0: so many people can make money doing it. It's right. like 1%. The rest right. The rest is people struggling, making no money just yeah. to work in the culture. Yeah. Is motorcycle culture kind of like that where it's like oh, very a much fun so, scene yeah. to hang around?
2: Well, and during that time, that was when uh on Discovery Channel, they had West Coast choppers and then they had the biker build-offs that were kind of coming onto the scene and everything. And so that was kind of like, that's what I aspired to. I Like I said, I, I, I grew up racing motocross and so always had an affinity for anything with two wheels. Like that was, I loved it. I can remember seeing... Uh, the first mob of hell's angels when i was in like elementary school in greenville south carolina and being like that's totally rad like they had the huge death head Mm -hmm. flag on the on the rear bikes and you're just like that looks legit like i want to be a part of that um and so just had always been drawn to that culture but very much so like i mean it's like you said there's only so much space for people to really have a platform in that industry because there's only really so much refining that you can do and um, I mean, even those guys, you, you look at guys like Jesse James and, and Billy the Kid and other guys that were formidable in those years, they're nowhere to be seen anymore. I mean, it's it's already a new a new group of, of individuals. I mean, Roland Sands has done a pretty phenomenal job of, of keeping a name for himself and still building bikes It's yeah. definitely one that's more more challenging to really get up there and and make any kind of, you know, formidable income or, or name for yourself for sure.
0: Mm. So you continued welding for a bit, but mm. ultimately...
2: Yeah, ultimately enlisted. You, you yeah, enlisted. yeah enlisted. the uh, was, was that a big decision for you? It was. I mean, in high school, we had a recruiter that was a, uh, a scout sniper in the Marine Corps, and I always looked up to him, always, you know, on lunch breaks and stuff, he'd be in the hall, you know, handing out pamphlets, trying to recruit kids, and he would always talk to me and my best friend at the time, so we'd hang out with him, like, every day that he was there, um, and he told us all the stories. That was when Iraq and everything had really kind of kicked off, so he had all kinds of mm. war stories and pictures, and Um, So it was always kind of uh, enticed into that realm. Uh, And then when the the company I was working for was building MRAP, so the big mine-resistant armor-protected trucks that the military uses overseas, like Afghanistan, Iraq. So I was building those. um, But, you know, I mean, the government switches contracts uh, pretty quickly. So within a year and a half of working there. Um, they had lost some contracts. The war in Iraq had kind of shifted over to Afghanistan. They weren't using them as much there. And so I got laid off. Uh, And at that point, I was just full-blown partying. I mean, college at Charleston has its reputation. It definitely is an accurate uh, depiction. It's a very big party school, and I had friends that were in the school. And so I was basically living that college lifestyle without being in the college. And so when I got laid off, it was just all day drinking every day and not really doing a whole lot with myself. And uh, just woke up one morning was kind of tired and fed up with it. I was like, I'm going to do something. And uh, I had two buddies that slept on my couch in my apartment, and I walked out. I was like, I'm going to go join the Marine Corps today. I'll see you guys later. And literally went to the recruiter's office. I was a dream for a recruiter because he didn't have to sell me on anything. I was like, I'm enlisting. Like, just get me in to boot as soon as you can. Make sure it's a combat MOS and we're good. And two months later, I was at boot camp in Paris Island, South Carolina.
0: Man, there's like – a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I don't think that gets talked about enough, though, because I I can relate so much to, like, my friends are in college, not all of them, but I'm not. But justifying my behavior is like, these are college years. Yeah. I don't go to class. Totally. But like, we're all partying and experimenting and yeah. getting crazy. And it's like a lot of people died in those, quote, unquote, college years. Years from drinking and driving or accidents Very much or, so, yeah. or drug overdoses, and it's like, yeah, it was such a justification is like, oh, kids are going to be kids, college years. Right. It's like, ma- like going to to classes to get a degree and it's partying. So ir- we need to yeah. separate those. It's two. so ironic, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: it's like you're supposed to be going here to get this formidable education so that. You know, a company or organizations will know you're a reliable, dependable person. But then on the other side, like you just stated, the culture is also signing off on, yeah, just – find yourself while you're there, you know, figure it out, enjoy it, have fun. It's like, it's like fraternities and sororities and stuff. You're like, Oh,
1: I hope they join that. You're like, do you know what's going on there? Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I worked on a, on a college campus and I was just like, dude, these are the ones that we're all
2: like aspiring to be. Right. (laughs) This is where
1: you want us all to go. It's so, it's so weird. It's interesting.
2: Well, I can even remember we would, the guys that I knew that went to college at Charleston, but then we had others that didn't. Uh, some of my mm-hmm. other friends that would, would hang out with us and roll around, and we would literally just walk up and down the street until we hear a loud noise coming from the house. And we just go inside the house. I mean, I, I think almost every single one that we'd go into, we'd end up getting into fights with people because they were more more, more than likely fraternity parties or sorority parties, and they didn't want you to do anything. No, there. they just want girls to yeah, show up. They just want girls <laughs> to show up. We're like, dude, I'm going to drink from your keg while we're here. So
0: <laughs> ultimately, this lifestyle is not making you happy.
2: No, not at all, man. No. And
0: you wake up and you're like, I want something different for my life, and joining the military seems like kind of like a, a path, a, a out. step
2: in the right direction. Yeah, Doing it something. seemed it seemed like well, you'll you'll do something, you know. It'll get me away from you know the, the drinking so much, and um, you know, give me some discipline, maybe a skill. I'll get to see things. You know, so many people that, that I even talked to after was in. Um, you know, well, why'd you join? Well, I wanted to see the world, I was like, what well, the worst parts of it. Cause that, that's that's where you're going with us, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, definitely, I felt like that would be a, a, a positive step in the right direction, especially getting away from the drinking and the partying as much. Mm-hmm. But li- little did I know that uh, you know the Marine Corps was established in a bar in Tun Tavern, Philadelphia. So it's that's very okay much it. a part of the culture there too. Was your time
0: in the military what you thought it would be, or was it like? Eye opening or it seems like a lot of people have different outlooks and maybe some of that depends on what tours you did or what war zones you're in or whatever. But was it what you expected?
2: I think I got exactly what I signed up for. Um like I mentioned, I, i when I told the recruiter I said I want a combat MOS. I don't it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be infantry, but I want to be a combat MOS. I ended up getting uh, to be a forward observer, so a scout, um, which was very much, you know, in, in the mix of things, basically just an overeducated grunt. I mean, I just had a radio in my hand and could talk to indirect fire assets of aircraft or artillery or mortars uh, and get those uh, effects on target. And um, I mean, my deployment, I got to do exactly that. I mean, I was in an extremely kinetic uh, area of Afghanistan in 2010. We had just done a, a big push uh, into that area, nobody had ever been there before. And so we were kind of the the first booths on the ground in that arena and, and it was uh, very, very hostile. I think the longest period we went without getting shot at was like 13 days during Ramadan outside of that. I mean, it was a daily thing, you know? So wow. in, in that sense, you're kind of like, okay, cool. You know, like I'm I'm actually doing my job. That's, that's one thing I can say about being in a, in a combat MOS is that, you know, you, you spend all of this time training. I mean, that's, you, you spend, you know, two or three years just getting your, your foundation of your MOS and, um, you know, different uh, abilities or, or, or tactics and techniques or, or even honing in on specialty parts of your MOS or, or even branching out and going to other specialty training schools or jump school or sniper school or any of those things that you have the opportunities afforded to do. And so finally, you get to go into the arena where you actually get to put it into practice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I got exactly what I asked for. Um, now were the results of it exactly what I wanted? No, not at all. I mean, it's it, it's a struggle till to this day, uh, but the Lord has really refined a lot of it and uses it, obviously, to help a lot of others that have gone through similar situations and backgrounds. I've I've got so many friends and brothers that I was either stationed with or deployed with um, who still today that they'll reach out to me at random times, and they're not even you know uh, professing believers or followers, but when times are hard, they're calling me to ask me to pray for them. I mean, so it's really, it's really kind of cool to see how the Lord has used that uh, in turn, and even with my wife, uh, she's got you know some uh, PTSD from other scenarios, but the Lord uses that for her and I to understand each other. So it's been pretty cool because she she's in the military also in the Navy, correct? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. And
1: you you ended up getting hurt. Yeah, yeah, my back,
2: uh, head injuries, TBIs, yeah. So you ended up being um, discharged. Yeah, I got a medical retirement uh 2016, yeah, so after eight years.
1: Eight years is a long time, though. Yeah, it was. How to, how many tours was it, three to Afghanistan?
2: Oh, one to Afghanistan. I had several around the South Pacific Okay. Uh, while I was stationed in Okinawa, too. And, and the Lord was really gracious, too, after that. Once, once you get any kind of... Um, substantial injury or even a, a mental stamp as far as PTSD. you are no longer deployable for a combat MOS. Uh, and I had a match starting to really looked out for me and ended up getting me a gig down at Coronado at the schoolhouse down there. So I was able to stay in an extra three years after that point. And so that that really was a blessing because the that, that, Lord used that for them to really uh, end up getting the medical retirement, which has been huge as far as even ministry is concerned at this point moving forward because it's freed me up to not have to worry Um, So much about the financial aspect of of providing for my family and making sure that they get what they need because my retirement does a pretty good job of doing that.
0: Wow, what a blessing. Yeah. There's something about like when someone dies, it forces you to face mortality that like Mm. everyone's time will be cut short at some point, Mm -hmm. however long that is. When you're in a situation where like you're getting shot at all the time and the longest duration is like 13 days. (laughs) Yeah. That's gnarly. Are, do you find yourself like day to day, like coming to terms with like today mm. could could be a day where something doesn't go in my favor? Is that something or do you have to push that out and just get the job done and not think about stuff like that?
2: That's a good question. You know, I think that um, I think I prayed every day. I really, I really do think I prayed every day. If I, I I don't remember, I think before every patrol, I kind of had a ritual that I would do, Uh, I would pray and then I would listen to Rage Against the Machine and then we'd go on patrol. So it's just weird (laughs) kind of like (laughs) dichotomy going on. Um, But yeah, no, it was, you know, the the old saying, there's no atheists in foxholes um, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't think that I talk, you know, even atheist, I, 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 you know, professing atheist, I can remember, because I, I thought I was a Christian, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, I'm safe. I know. It was on my dog tags, right? I mean, that makes that makes it a real thing. Um, and so I always thought it was ironic. But even when we were, when we were in country or in environments like that, they definitely, uh, people become a little more spiritual in their outlook, for sure.
0: Eight years, and then you end up in San Diego.
2: Yeah, so we were, uh, I was stationed in Okinawa for three years, uh, and then got to Camp Pendleton uh, so like beginning middle of 2011 uh, and then was here up until uh, my wife retired in 2019
0: when you come back from Afghanistan and everything like what is hmm. what is your day-to-day life like like what is the future are you just like I'm gonna I'm a military guy and this is what I'm gonna do and like
2: you know, so I always – I had opportunities to go um, in the private sector, so to do some contracting work. Uh, it obviously would have entailed me being overseas a lot more. Um, and at that point, uh, I, I had met my first wife. We had already had um, two kids, um, had had our third. And then, you know, I knew I wanted to be around my kids. Um Things didn't go well with my with my now ex wife uh, at that point in time, but I, I knew that I wanted to be there for my kids. I knew that I, I had a lot of guys that had been in, you know, for for over a decade, and and saw how their family struggled with them being gone. I mean, it, you necessarily have to be gone in order to do your job at that point, point. Um, and so I didn't necessarily want to do it. And I think the Lord even used a, a guy, a mentor of mine early on in the Marine Corps, uh, who I really respected, had been. I think he had done eight or nine deployments, um, eight of those to Iraq, one of those to Afghanistan, just a real salty dude. I mean, he knew his craft, was really good um, at, at being a Marine and everything that it came with that uh, in country. And uh, I really looked up to him and admired him. And he had ended up getting out before me, uh, before I, a couple of years before I was medically retired. And I remember talking to him a, a few times when I was able to get a hold of him or he was back in country for a brief moment and then would go back out. With the agency that he was working with um and i'd never heard it there sometimes you can talk to men that have been in situations or circumstances like that for too long of a period um and it it, it's beyond a hardening it really just starts to mortify their souls entirely Mm. and and i could hear that in his voice and he was even telling me he's like yeah dude don't don't do this and again this was a, a guy that had already deployed Almost ten times while he was in the Marine Corps, uh, so always had looked at him as you know this barrel chested freedom fighter. I mean, just a war fighter. Like he was good at this. This is what he did. And then he was telling me not to do this. Uh, and so I think I just I look back and I see all these little roadblocks that the Lord put in place so that I wouldn't take that turn or I wouldn't take this turn. Mm. Um, and that was kind of how he kept me out of that because I re- I really didn't know what I was going to do um, at that point. Uh, you know, when when your craft is um, violence and and using a certain skill set that's not useful outside of that context. Then what do you do? You know, you kind of you kind of lose your identity at that point. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of where I found myself in those last couple of years, knowing that I was going to be, cause the, the retirement process, I think took almost two years total. It's, 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 a long process. I think they've kind of streamlined it a lot more since then they were, at that point they were starting to iron out things because there was such a backup of, of guys that, that you know, they could no longer serve. They needed to be, uh, medically retired and continue to be taken care of and provided for, for their service. Um, and so they've kind of streamlined that now, but it took a while. And uh, so during those couple of years, I really didn't know what I was going to be doing with myself. And that's kind of when the, the MC culture, even a few years before that, had kind of started taking a role. That same mentor that told me not to was also the same one that brought me into the MC world.
0: Mm. I've heard that from a few guys that um, like did it, did tours or whatever, that they're like, I have all this knowledge that was useful to staying alive. Yep. And I know all these things that like you only learn when you're trying to hide from, you know, across enemy lines or trying to do this or that. And you come back and it feels like no one cares. Yeah. You come back and it feels like general society is like, yeah, whatever. Get on with it.
2: Very much so. Yeah. Like go
0: find a job. No no one wants to hear about it. Cool. You were over there or, you know you might get one of the two extremes, either people that are like, thank you so much for your service and uh, like appreciate you like putting yourself on the line or you get people that are very insulting and offensive and it can go either
2: way, right? It's it's funny because I... That reminded me of C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed. That was one of the things that he mentioned about when he had lost his wife, that it was was that double-edged sword. You were either kind of grieved when someone did bring it up and and spoke Mm. to you about it, but then you were also grieved when somebody didn't bring it up and didn't speak Mm -hmm. about it. So you're kind of like, you're living in this purgatory of, well, why don't people appreciate it? But then, well, leave me alone. Like, I don't need you to tell me or affirm what I did. And I've also always tried to be very careful about even mentioning that because you you look back at our brothers from Vietnam in that time period and the things that they went through and the way that the culture treated them. I mean, these were men that didn't have a choice. They were forced to go and fight this war. And then thanks to the media and the way that the culture was going at the time, now they were coming off planes and having to run into a bathroom and change their clothes just so they wouldn't be identified as having served at all. So, I I can't imagine wow, being in. That's insane. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine being in their shoes and coming back where it, it wasn't that you were unappreciated or no one cared, but it was that you were hated and you were identified as a baby killer or somebody that was doing all these things. But it's like, dude, the government's the one that, that sent us over there. You know, the government yeah. was the one who was pushing this agenda. Like, these were just guys that had to do what they were told. And if they didn't, they were going to prison or they had to flee the country. I mean, it's just really. That's like where the Hells
1: Angels came from. Yeah. Was like a lot of the guys that came back from like
2: it is yeah yeah that's that's the whole MC culture. I mean, around World War II, these yeah. guys came back and they didn't you know they didn't belong to society anymore. and they didn't and some of them didn't want to belong right. But right. then a lot of it's like
1: look what we, the damage that's been done. Yeah and yeah so that's like sometimes people don't understand that we we've talked about that a lot with all kinds of. Gang culture, yep. hardcore scene. That's it's the same thing. It's like a uh where do I belong? Where Very do I find much, my yeah. identity? Yeah. Where can I find a family that like will accept me as I am in a sense? You right. know, and so yeah. that's interesting because coming back from that, especially having a camaraderie with right. guys who've been through it with you that other yeah. people just
2: don't get it. Yeah. Well, and, and, in the MC culture, you know, hoping that you find this brotherhood of guys that they'll go toe to toe with you in a gunfight, you know, like they'll stand shoulder to shoulder with you, you know, they'll be there. And so like you're saying, you really, you're, we're, we're created for community. We thought, we were talking about that earlier and you're created to have that, you know, assurance and affirmation and, and um accountability, but then also the backup, right? We, right. we always want, to, to have that assurance of, you know, if, if I pick up the phone and call this person, I know they're going to be there. And that's what all these cultures are supposed to. I mean, that's that's how they function. That's how they thrive and operate. And going back to the skill set aspect, that was the MC culture. Well, violence is rewarded in this gang life. I mean, that, that, that entire, you know, the hardcore scene, whatever it is, violence is yeah. something that is – necessary and is, is useful. You know, it helps me maintain my dominance in this territory or it helps me, uh, you know, make a name for myself. And, and it's just really that, that machismo, bolstering, chest bumping mm. culture that, you know, everybody's trying to pick a fight to see which dog is bigger.
0: As human beings, we all do this to an extent because, you know, whereas Chris, that was the hardcore scene for you and mm. me for a time and the skateboard scene, I've seen it in corporate culture too. I was too. just going to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the the guys that come back from the weekend and want to like one-up each other on who drank more or, yep. you know, got with more women over the weekend or who has higher sales. Yeah. It's the mm-hmm. same. It comes from the same place in our heart. So we can like rationalize like, oh, gang member, or a thug, mm-hmm. this or that. It's like it comes from the same place yeah. of trying to identify, trying to relate to, trying to validate yourself because deep down we all want appreciation and community. Yeah. It's just how you get that varies person to person. Some people it's performance based. How much they sold, some people it's how much they can bench. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. people it's how hard they can fight. Some people it's how how good their dating life is or you know college kids it can be how much you can drink or who did the longer keg stand yeah. but I think there is a degree of especially in men of like wanting to find people that you relate with. And wanting to prove yourself to them. Yeah. Pride expresses you
2: know? itself in a multiplicity of ways. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it really, because you have soccer mom culture, you have CEO culture, you have gang culture, you have car culture, you have bike. I mean, it just, it really is. Tra- it's Tra- just, travel, baseball culture. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just manifesting itself <laughs> in a different form. But at the root of it, it's pride. I and mean, we, we want to exalt the God of self versus exalting the only God.
0: Yeah. And, you know, yeah, even with. Kids' baseball or things, sometimes you see a dad being overly hard on their kid or something, and you're like, oh. Where's this coming from? And it's like,
2: You like, know where yeah, it's coming I from. I feel like in the South, that's so prevalent too. Like that mm. in student ministry, that was like the biggest battle that I had was trying to get parents to understand you know, you're the one that's modeling and setting the tone for this. So if you're, if your child's not expressing an interest, well, what's your interest? And they don't like that. You know, parents don't want to be held accountable for their role in the, in the formation of their children's faith and their biblical worldview. And so that was sports was always at the crux, man. I mean, it was always one of those things where it was like, well, you know, the parents that brought the kids to me that were, you know, struggling with drugs or, or sexually active or, uh, just outright rebelling against all authority altogether were the exact same parents who were either working so much they were never around their children mm-hmm. or they were around their children, but it was for sports. And, and so it's like, okay, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Well, what's what's your family worship look like? And you always get that kind of sideways like, huh? Well, are you opening the word with your child at home? You know, I mean, are, are you the one that's, that's showing them and modeling them the necessity of gathering with the saints on a Sunday morning for worship? Or, are you setting that tone and example there, or are you setting that tone and example somewhere else? And a lot of times in the sports ring, that's where it was expressed. Let's talk
0: about your introduction to the MC culture. So it came yeah. from one of your mentors in the Marine Corps, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did that look? Did he bring you around certain guys that
2: were in it or? So we were, um, I, I had I had known him in MOS school. Uh, we had kind of parted ways a little bit, and then we got stationed together again when I came to Pendleton. He was here. Um, and he was a part of a, 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 an up-and-coming club, um, was already a member of it. Uh, he already knew me, my background, um, so it would would have been a great fit. I mean, it was a perfect. He worked fit. on bikes. You yeah, he how knew, to he both, yeah, he knew we both. Yeah, he knew knew I was into Harleys. You know, we both rode, um, and so that was kind of it. Made sense for both of us. You know, I was an asset to them, and they were an asset to me, and um, that was kind of what uh, opened the doorway for that. Yeah,
0: like you were kind of like. Coming around and then,
2: oh yeah, sooner or later you're just a part of it. Well, so there's definitely a process. process, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole deal. I mean, so you start around with with kind of a hang around phase where. Uh, and, and that can, you know, there, there are lifelong hangarounds. Like there are people that, you know, they'll, they'll just use you until you finally get the picture that they're never going to let you in.
0: Is that like prospecting or that's before even prospecting? That before
2: prospecting. Yeah. So hanging around is what it sounds like. Like you're just around like, and so it, it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's all, it's almost any other career, right? You start doing what it is that you're aspiring to be. Um, and so you you know pick up trash, you wipe down bikes, you stand guard. I mean, you, whatever it is they call you or tell you to do, you just start doing it. Um, and you show that commitment that you're there all the time, that you're showing up whenever they're meeting, um, that you're going on the runs when they're going on runs. And so then somebody, a, a member, will formally say, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm putting him in as a prospect," and then they'll vote on that. Uh, so it's it's very democratic, very structured and organized. I can I can definitely give kudos to them in that regard. Um, and so you, you start out with a hangaround, then if you're fortunate enough you'll get a prospect. So most clubs, that means you'll get a bottom rocker. Um and, and that's it. There'll be nothing else attached with it. So you have a bottom rocker and an MC patch, but you won't have the logo or the center patch if it's a three-piece club. now now again, this is more from the um the outlaw one percenter one club perspective. Yeah. Uh, versus some of the other, you know, you have RCs or other MCs that are um, a lot more relaxed or laid back um, not not really on the um, criminal side of things or willing to actually die for the patch but uh so but the one that I was around was a one percenter club
0: so being in California I feel like seeing people on the freeways or whatever with different rockers is mm-hmm. like fairly common mm-hmm. and for most of us if you're driving down the street and you see a hell's angel or like a mongol drive by you're kind of like oh like that's one of them but i take it when you're in that culture it's more of a badge of honor to hang out with some of these clubs rather than like oh "Oh, these guys are kind of scary or you know like they're they're into weapon running or like whatever it is you know when you're hanging around it are they just like normal
2: guys normal and depraved absolutely um, normal as far as their perspective of culture I think that the great irony behind all of it is 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 you're really you know one of the things that the MC culture has always been Boasted about is their non-conformity, right? I mean, they're they're not conforming to the culture, and they do things that are offensive on purpose. That's why a lot of the one percenter clubs, you know, they'll have swastikas and stuff like that. It's not because they're Nazis; it's because other people find it offensive, and they like offending people.
0: It's like punk rock,
2: yeah. <laughs> In I mean, a lot of it, ways, and that's yeah. the thing. Like you, 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 you go to all these cultures, and it's literally the same mindset. And but the great irony is, is that you think you're being different, but you're not. You're yeah. you're just you're just to a greater degree than the rest of the world. I mean, apart from the Lord, we're all fallen. We're all depraved. And so we're, we're all in rebellion against the actual normative standard who is Christ or Adam pre-fall. Um, and so it's it's that that's always kind of made me chuckle looking back a little bit because you're like, oh, we're so different, and, and I'm not going to be like the culture that I'm around with. Dude, you're exactly like the culture that you're around. You're just expressing it in a different way.
0: Yeah, I feel that way looking back. Mm. In a lot of the cultures I was a part of, we thought we were like, yeah, poetic and different yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know and you look back and you're like no not really yeah like in a lot of ways like they have parties and, oh yeah and yeah they, runs
2: um you know weekly they call it church that's that's i always thought mm-hmm. that's funny too so or, and met on sundays um but we'd, we'd have our club meetings on sundays we'd have runs so whether it would a run that we're putting on so a run just being a ride from one place to another one party to another Um, or we'd go to other runs. We'd hang out with other clubs and support them. And so you have kind of that larger community, but even there too, I mean, it's it's just – you know, one person sticking their chest out further than the other, and again, th- there is a hierarchy for sure in those in the clubs. And the one percenter world is is you know it's it's that uh, level playing field of other one percenter clubs, but there are definitely those that have more dominance, that have more prestige. I mean, I think if you can go to pretty much anywhere in the world, and people will know who the hell's Angels are. Uh, but at this point, the Mongols are about at that status too. Um, and so th- there's definitely a, a, a pride that comes with that. I mean, you 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 get that response from people that people are either kind of sketched out about you or they're afraid of you or they just know to leave you alone. But either way, you're provoking a response from somebody else that is, uh, you know, them being fearful of your violence or dominance or at least the the reputation that precedes you from that. And that's kind of why. Uh, you know, the, the, the patch was always – is really the god of, of those organizations. The patch comes first, period. I mean, if, you, mm-hmm. if, if your patch is ever taken from you, depending on the club or the, even the chapter of the club you're in, the, the consequences can can vary broadly. I mean, I've, I've seen men that they've done that, and they've been brutally jumped out of the club and no longer a part of it just because they wow. simply forgot – That I mean, not even got it taken, but left it somewhere. Um. So the the patch is the idol. That's the god that you're serving is the patch, and, and, and that's well known. You know, I mean, you'll do whatever it takes to defend the patch. And and you were sergeant at arms. Yes, sir. Yeah, at one point. Yeah. So, so yeah.
1: So you were you were in in it. Yeah. In as yeah. far as the physical yeah side yeah. of it. Yeah. The, the, yes. You guys don't know Chris is like what are you six three six, six four three, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a big dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> Wouldn't want to have you sicked on me. But when you're doing some of the enforcement stuff, you got to mm-hmm. go handle business. Mm-hmm. Morally, are you able? Does military come in handy in that?
2: Oh, yeah, because this so is a you, mission. You just separate
0: yeah. the, yeah. I don't need to think about this. I have a job to do. I'm going to go handle it. And 100%. they brought it on themselves.
2: Yep, Yeah, You because the, the, generally speaking, those people have entered into whatever agreements they had with the club or whether it was money or drug or prostitution related, whatever it was, they knew what they were getting into. So it's just a natural consequence if you failed to hold up your end of the deal.
0: I've heard this from other people that were involved in any sort of gang culture where it's like. Our objective is not necessarily the news will like try and glorify we're attacking random people. He's like, no, mm-hmm. like most of the time our business is with other people in mm-hmm. gangs or with people in our gang that have been out of line. Yep. And that's the rationalization is like, hey, we all signed up for this. Right. Right. So if you did something stupid, you should have known better. Like, yeah. you should have taken this more serious. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. I, I've seen more violence committed towards other brothers in the same club, honestly, than I have outside of it. I mean, it just for for various things, whatever it may be. But if you, you know, each club has bylaws and, th- and those laws stand. And if you violate those laws, there are consequences for it. It, sh- it should be
1: so not shocking to us that this is where we go every time. Yeah. Like like every single time, and so like people like to watch like Gangland or something like that, and like oh I want to learn about yeah. the Bloods and the Crips yeah. or the Hell's Angels or the whatever you know a million different ones, and people yeah. are really intrigued by that. Yeah. You go wow, how does this all happen? And like you guys already said, like yeah. this is what this is default. Yeah, what's it's like sin enters in. Yeah. What's the next thing the 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 sons? Yeah, one kills the other one. Right because of
2: jealousy well even before that you and know, pride like adam blaming eve and eve but right exactly yeah who can who can i blame this on that's not me exactly blame shift
1: hide yeah. yeah deceive right like and it's like oh man like so it's like why would we be be surprised that we end up in these places right. and that's why there's a lot of like people don't really want to open up about where they're coming from like mm. oh i don't want it to sound bad or it's like this is common to man. yeah, like that's what's been cool about this podcast is we've been able to like get into people's like real stories and we've always tried to push it as raw and and I know you're you're doing that and you will continue to do that. But like that this is the story of man without God. Yeah, whether it's you know in in a gang scene or in the church. Without God, yeah, like this is what we do, yeah. And so, well, I was
2: even telling Brad earlier, right after service this morning. You know, the 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 beautiful thing about testimony, because you, you have both extremes, right? You have uh, people with with backgrounds like mine or the other guys or yourselves that, that the Lord has just done these radical. Uh, you know, new birth. In I mean, it, 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 yeah. there's no doubt that this was God because there's no other explanation for it. Period. But then you have those people that are like, you know, well, I, I came to Christ when I was six years old and I've just followed Him faithfully till then. And they're like, well, I don't really have a testament. That's it's still God's story. Like yeah. mm-hmm. that's that's God's story and and the same blood that covered me covered you. So mm-hmm. don't don't mitigate or or you know minimize mm-hmm. what the Lord has done because for me with my background and 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 having Lived in rebellion and in enmity with God for so many years, I, I'm blown away at people that have that testimony of I've walked faithfully with Christ since I was yeah. seven years old. It's like, praise the Lord, man! Like yes. what a testimony to His keeping you and His 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 sustaining you and drawing you into Himself. I mean that that to me is just gives God all the, the glory that, that a testimony like yours or mine does. So, but the, and then that's yeah. the thing too where. But
1: your your identity is not a good little boy or a good little girl. Right. It's still in the need With of the grace, grace of yeah, God, exactly. The blood yeah, of Jesus. Yeah. So, that, like that's the difference. Right. It's like you still recognize your yeah. need for that, and it's like, yeah, you don't have to have a horror story at the end of this to know that you're a sinner in need of grace, Absolutely. and to know that you are capable of doing really bad right. stuff, whether yeah. you do it or not. Right. You know.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and we all have like kids. Hmm. And Chris and I have talked about this probably three other times on this podcast of like, man, like, I don't want my son to have a story like mine. No, gosh. If he just knows who God is his whole life, that's awesome. You know, when I spoke to the youth group out at Fallbrook, that's one thing I was trying to communicate is like, when you tell these wild stories, there's always the like, oh, but then you figured it out. It's But it's like, I had a lot of friends die. Not everyone, like, right. you don't want to test mm-hmm. God's grace like that. Mm-hmm. No. And I remember I had a friend who's walked his whole life and he said to me one night we were hanging out and he's like, yeah, sometimes I wish like I had some, some years where I got to like just have fun and I'm like, some years to just be in bondage. Right. That's what that was. Oh, that's
2: a, that's a dangerous. Wrapped
0: up in bondage, man. Like (laughs) those weren't fun years. You're in a dangerous place saying stuff. Don't glamorize
2: that, man. Yeah.
0: It was like, I, I hated it the whole time. (laughs) I wasn't having fun.
2: You're miserable. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I had my fun and then the fun ran out. And that goes back back to the counterfeit,
2: right? I mean, that Mm -hmm. that was that, that subtle lie that was able to be planted in your friend's head to say, well, you missed out a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. God's had you, but he, you know he also robbed you of this it's like no man like that's not it that's not yeah. it at all
0: how does your time in the club go like are you fulfilled in what you're doing are you having a good time or
2: are you still <laughs> i mean i thought i was at the time but at the same time still miserable you know like we just said you know i was it, it, by the time i retired you know i was uh, using drugs pushing drugs um at that point i had done all sorts of different dirt for the club uh, all just trying to make a name for myself you know just just wanting to boast up myself i wanted to i wanted to have that reputation you, you know the, the crazy thing about when you're in a club or a gang or any culture like that is, is to the outside world you're already this you know kind of nasty violent criminal uh, and so you put that off to others but then you have to make a name for yourself inside the club you have to you have to have that reputation within the club of even a a hierarchy of well that well you know i i'm in this club but i ain't gonna mess with that dude because i know that he's done this 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 and this um and i really think that's how what propels people forward it gets them into jail that gets them you know to lose their lives in a gunfight or, or those sorts of things because they're just they're trying to take it one step further and that was one of the things that we even always said in the club is what set us apart was is that I know I'm willing to go one step further than the next person. Wow. And that that was really what what set it apart. I, was, I mean, for me at that point, I didn't care about living or dying. I'd already had that programming done during my time overseas where it's like, whatever, you know, I'm going to do my job the best of my ability. If they get me, then they get me. That's that's just how the game goes. And so that translated over into the MC culture. So I was always looking for those opportunities to go one step further than the next person that would make me stand out to the next person that would help me move up in rank. So are you at this point are have you met Amanda? Uh so I first got into the club scene when I was still married to my ex-wife um, and then a couple of years after that point we had separated got in divorce and then I met Amanda. But yeah, so I was Amanda has been in in the culture with me as well and um, you know, going back to what you said about our kids, that's one of the things that, that she and I have prayed, you know, religiously is that, and we talk to our kids about all the time, like God was so gracious in that they got to see the transformation. Because by the time I retired, you know, Amanda was still in for three more years and we were still here. I was still, at that point, I you know, all the restrictions were taken off because in the Marine Corps, I couldn't, I had to be somewhat cautious about things because if I did get nicked or locked up at, you know, that goes to my command. And then it was already, it was already an automatic discharge if I was found out to be in the club that I was in, they were on a no fly list. Uh, so there were already those parameters that were somewhat restricting on me. But then once I was out, I was out, I could do whatever I wanted at that point. Um, and you know, a man to this day says, I know that he would have been in jail or dead. One of the two, because I've never been, I've never been someone that just dips his toe into try the waters and see it. It's like, No, you're not. I'm going (laughs) to do this. You're all in, man. And that was to my detriment, obviously, BC days, but now to the glory of God, it's it's been so, so rewarding, and He's used that attribute in my nature um, for His glory and and for my good, so it's been awesome.
0: Are there a lot of... Past military service guys that are hanging around the clubs. Very much
2: so, especially in SoCal, this area, but even on the East Coast, too. I mean, very, very much so, a a large majority uh, of veterans. But on on the other side of that, too, for the West Coast, I can say even the culture is different. So, with the same club, same patch, but on the East Coast, it's more the stereotypical older, fat, long beard, white guys riding in a club together they hang out drink. they might sell some drugs or something here or there. But where on this side of the coast, it's definitely more of that mm-hmm. uh, a gangbanger on a bike type vibe. Okay. A, and and they're they're about they're about their business and, and getting things done. Uh, and so you definitely still do have that 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 aspect of it to where it's not necessarily um, all military background, but even those those kids that have been scooped up off the corner depending upon what, what area or what neighborhood. So if you're in Los Angeles or-, it's the Mong- or, or A lot of the Mongols were- Yeah, much were, a majority of, mm-hmm. of the Mongols now, that definitely more of that street culture than it is just the strict MC world. Like a lot, I can remember dudes coming in um, and hanging around that had no experience on a bike at all but they were willing to do dirt. And so the bikes were provided, they were taught how to ride and then you're brought into it. So even within it, there's a different um, culture depending upon which side of the country you're on.
0: Kind of interesting. I imagine part of the structure they have it set up in too. how you got to hang out. You got to be invited to prospect. Then Mm -hmm. you got to like put in your time and then they decide if they want you in is also figuring out who they can trust because once you get in and you learn about, a lot more of the inner workings. Oh, yeah. I mean that that can compromise the whole thing, right? Yeah. Oh, Cuz yeah. it's like sometimes some of these organizations the feds are after.
2: I mean that's one thing I can say about the MC culture is you don't have to question who's in what club. I mean it's it's expressed very clearly. Um, and I've had my you know mug shot taken with a sheet hanging on the back of a, a CHP car more times than I can count. You know, uh, wow. And that's and that's that was one of those areas where um, you start to see the profiling, you start to see uh, the the prejudice. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, they're just they're trying to do their job. You know, they're they're trying to figure things out. But there's always any of those institutions. There's always eyes. I mean, I can't remember. Going to a run anywhere in SoCal, uh, except maybe to Purdue a couple of times, where we didn't get pulled over and inspected and pictures taken. they're man. just like, yeah, man, yeah, you just, guys yeah, do whatever you want, yeah. And <laughs> but, but everywhere else, I mean, as far as San Diego County, where I've sheriff's officer, CHP, numerous times. I mean, I've had I've had sheriff's officers behind me on the freeway, but because they don't have jurisdiction on the highway, they would wait till I took an exit. And then they'd pull me over because they had jurisdiction there, they could do it. So I mean, you definitely start to get the vibe of, of you're always being watched. There's, there's always eyes on you. So I think with the, uh, the MC community, there's definitely, that, that seems to be a little more prevalent than even some of the others that are uh, more guerrilla warfare tactic, as far as they're blending in with the rest of the people around them.
0: I would imagine that probably makes people lean in harder too.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Where if you're going to be kind of, like, opposed like that, then you're like, well, I might as well, yeah. you know, I, I think, be all in on this. I think
2: some MC guys are, are more schooled on the, the laws of the Constitution of the land than, mm-hmm. than lawyers are. Because, I mean, wow. I, I can remember... And some of them are lawyers. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can remember <laughs> getting pulled over. I mean, I even had a sticker. Uh, we had stickers made on our bikes that was literally... Uh, a Miranda law saying, like, I don't consent for you to search my person. I don't consent for you to take my photo. I don't consent for all that so that you actually had that as backup if if things were pushed or you actually caught charges but you were pulled over for for no violation or just a suspect. So you definitely start to learn how to uh, adapt and, and overcome those things.
0: Especially if you've done tours overseas and you come back and you're trying to find your place in the world and mm-hmm. start hanging out with these guys and it's like this is it. Yep where else would i want to be yeah yeah you know how does god find you in this place like how does that mm. transition start to happen
2: so the um the club i was in was had originally been established so that it would be absorbed by a bigger club Uh, a lot of times they'll do that uh, in an effort to to test the guys or also to use to do dirt that they're technically not attached to Um, and so we had reached that point to where we were going to be absorbed um, by a bigger club Um, and and i was full-on for that, like that's that's what I'd been working up to, uh, had, had aspired to. Even like I spoke about earlier, as a child, um, had formed a lot of good relationships with guys in there, and and so had made somewhat of a name for myself. I at least had the respect of, of some of the bigger guys in the organization, and so that was really where I was headed. Um, I was retired at that point, so I was wrenching. I was actually so I had our three youngest kids at home. Uh, you have five kids. Yeah, we've got five. We so note. Uh, so I had I had uh, our three youngest, and we had our newborn. Um, she was not even a year old at that point. Oh wow! And so I was watching the kids at home while also wrenching on Club Guys bikes and doing work like that for them too, and and pushing stuff on the side. And then at night when the, uh, Amanda would finally get home, then I would go out and, and, and hang with the club and do whatever uh, we were doing that day. And um, it was an Easter Sunday that was coming up, and my uh, my wife's mom has been in Calvary Chapel, uh, sat under Chuck Smith. I mean, she was kind of on the tail end of the uh, Jesus revolution that took place, and that Chuck Smith really started everything with those guys. and. Um, so she, she's she been in the church since then, and a uh, very prayerful woman, very uh, reverent, loves the Lord, um, uh, still has her same struggles like we all do. Uh, but she was always faithful and always asked us to come visit them uh, up in Los Angeles at the the Calvary they were going to. They were at Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill at that point. And uh, she had been asking my wife, you know, for us to come for a few weeks, and I kept putting it off. I hadn't, had no desire to, to go to it or anything. You know, it was totally good with where I was at and, and what I was hoping was going to come and, and patching into this other club and, um, you know, moving up in the world as I saw it. And uh, eventually she twisted my arm enough I agreed to go. And uh, we went up there um, that Easter Sunday morning and had all our kids and, and sat in there, and it was James Cadiz was the pastor at the time. I think he's still the pastor at Signal Hill right now. Was preaching out of Romans, I believe, if if I remember correctly, it was Romans three twenty eight. But he kept he he had he laid out the gospel. He had, um, you know, really gone through the the holiness of God and and the depravity of man and our need to uh, repent and and turn to Him and, and confess Christ as Lord and. Um, but kept echoing the statement that uh, your body's a death trap. Your body's a death trap. Your body's a death trap. Like I mean, that's all I can remember. Like explicitly from the message was him laying that out and saying that your body is a death trap, and this is where you're going in it. This is this is where that coffin's going to take you if you don't repent and turn to Christ. And it, I didn't have like that. You know, super emotional experience uh, where I came up front or anything like that. Um, We we left and went to lunch at like a Subway. Um, And so they had like little tables. And so I ended up sitting by myself and was just kind of sitting there, kind of like in spaced out, not really even, you know, thinking about anything explicitly that I can remember. And then we got back in the car to come home. Um, So we're on the 405 freeway, uh, pretty bad traffic as usual. And a uh, rival club member pulled up beside us uh, in our car. And normally my response would have been, you know, oh, here's XYZ, how I can get kudos with the club. And my interaction with him wouldn't have been a friendly one. And instead of that thought coming through my head, the only thing that I could think of was, wow, it's a really nice day out today. He must be enjoying his ride. Mm. And that immediately was like, what happened? Like, what just happened? Wow. Why, why am I viewing this person that, you know, before automatically, even with my kids, my wife and kids in the car, would have been a violent response to now just like, oh, dude looks like he's having a good day. <laughs> you know I mean? this this yeah. totally radical mm-hmm. response to that. And I remember looking over at my wife like, honey, I, I – I think I'm saved. Like I th- I think I think I'm saved. And as we kept going down the road, I'm like, Jesus is alive. Like I can remember just echoing in my head, Jesus is alive. Jesus is wow. alive. Jesus is alive. Well, what does that mean for me that Jesus is alive? Uh and then getting home and and I had a guy that was staying with us at the time, um who was a hang around and he was sleeping on our couch in the garage and uh told him about everything. I'm like, yo, dude, like jesus is alive man like i think you know we've got to we've got to follow this dude and figure out what's going on and where where this is leading and i can remember sitting down with him the next day i think uh and being like all right we're gonna do a bible study you know i mean totally it just like made they're like right in there's no there's no other explanation other than god having done this work and sitting down with him and like we would literally sit there I mean, like for forty-five minutes, hour, two hours each day, and, and like read scripture. I'm like, all right, what do you think that means? Like, what? I mean, just had no idea. Just no, trying to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, no bearing <sighs> to what we were doing or 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 what it was, what it meant. And um, you know, my wife at that point, we'd already been through so much, and she had you know been in that life with me, and then knew. Um, she she just thought it was like, whatever, like, this isn't, it's not going to last. It's just something that he's thinking or whatever. And it'll be, that'll be it. But, um, I mean, it was within the week. I I called uh, my sponsor from the club that I was uh, looking to patch into and told him, I was like, look, dude, you know, uh, Jesus got a hold of me. Uh, you know, I, I view him as my Lord and savior now. And I don't, I don't, I don't think these two things mesh very well with each other. So you know, I, I I I don't know what to tell you, but you know, I, I I'm pretty sure I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, wow! And, and uh, so I I got to part ways with you, you know. And that's always kind of been the big question that people ask me. Well, how did you get out? You know how how did you get out? Because you know it's notorious. It depends on which club you're in or what chapter to what the how that process can work. And you know, God in His mercy, the, the, the guy uh, that I was talking to respond. He's like. It's stuck with me. It's so it's, it's so weird. I mean, it's, I don't know another word to put on it other than just weird. Because he said, I'm proud of you and I love you. Don't ever call me again. And that was the end of it.
0: Wow. Dude, that's wild. That's so cool. Yeah. that's. Were you nervous to make that call?
2: Yes and no. Um, again, being one of those people where uh, if I'm in it, I'm in it. Um, so I knew I didn't have a choice. So it was one of those things where, like, what's the point of being nervous or scared about it? Because it, it'll be what it's going to be. Um, and, you know, I've taken beatings before, if that's what it's going to call for. Or if it's more than that, you know, then then it'll be more than that. But at that point, I think I just had to—I I had faith, and I was going to follow that faith, and I was going to trust that that was what I had to do. Um wow. And so just did it, and that was the response, and so-
0: you knew that early on you were going to be a pastor too, which you are a oh, pastor yeah. now. Yeah, there's yeah. So,
1: there's so many like times where people think uh, I just can't go. There's like I wish I could, but there's and it's yeah. like you just can't limit like what God can do. Yeah, I also think like because you were so honest and straight about it, like yeah. if someone really cares for you, they're pumped. Yeah, to see what. What, like you do something better, right. you know? like and, and, so. I, and
2: I think that was his response because I, I had grown a, a really close relationship with this individual and and had spent a lot of time with him. And um, he had gotten out of lockup uh, maybe a year prior to that. And so uh, I had, had really spent that last year since being out, just being around him, learning from him, you know, learning the ropes, you know, learning um, how to play the game and succeed in it. Uh, and so I think he did have a genuine love For me, I mean, I I still have pictures of him washing uh, our our oldest daughter's feet in the kitchen sink. Like I mean, and I've I've shown that to her. Like you have no idea who this person is or what they're affiliated with. And but I mean, that was they were they were in our home, and and we we did have a a genuine uh, affection and care for one another. And so I think that was really. Um, God's way of making that process less painful, because he was somebody who uh, was high, uh, high enough up uh, with enough say-so that he could keep anyone else from interfering or, or making that an issue. Um, and mm. that's what he did. So Th- That's such a good...
1: Word of encouragement, man. Yeah, seriously, for people who are like, "Oh, I wish I could make the right decision, but I just can't." There's, you you know, what? It's just too dangerous, or it's just too this, or it's just too that. It's like, God part. If he can part seas, if he can raise the dead, he can take care of that. And that's ultimately,
2: we have such a our God's too small. You know, Mm -hmm. we have such a small view of God. But actually, sit down and. And look through God's redemptive plan in history, right. as is given to us in His Word and in the Scriptures. If you can rightly identify with with Christ as your as your Lord and Savior, as is the Great I Am being, the one true living God, and you're following Him, just do what He asks you to do. That that's the children of Israel story. I mean, it's it's it's, it's like the,
1: whenever they like obey right. and they trust God, trust and obey. He like takes care of it. Yeah, right. And as soon as they stop and they start making their own gods right. and it's like they are, all the stuff falls on him cuz he's like no
2: yeah.
1: you're my people and so i'm going to let all this junk overwhelm right. you yeah. but, or if you can trust me i will blow your mind that's it's, there's story after story of i i want you to know what i can do and right. then they forget well, and, and it's it, like so it's like that's us it's yeah. so easy for oh, we yeah. insert
2: ourselves into that well, and even knowing him i mean if if you believe that God is immutable, he doesn't change that uh-huh. he's infinitely wise, good, loving, caring, compassionate, mm-hmm. omniscient, he knows everything. Mm-hmm. if you truly believe that then well what what's the greatest gift that God can give us? The greatest gift that God can give us is himself mm-hmm. and so you have people that will kind of what well, sounds you know a little egotistical Paul washer has a great a great word on this i I heard at the conference in january, but um if 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 he was to if if we were the center of the story then that elevates us over god that mm-hmm. gives us the glory versus god receiving the glory whereas mm-hmm. you know as jonathan edwards famously pointed into which everything god does is for his own glory he says mm-hmm. it throughout the old testament i'm doing this for my name's sake i'm doing this for my reputation mm-hmm. and even moses when he finally intercedes on behalf of the people what does he do well This is for your name, Lord. Your reputation is going to be slandered if you don't do what you've sown to do. What, you brought us all the way out here just to kill everybody? Yep. You can't do that, right? Because then what are the what are the Egyptians going to think about you? Right. What are these people going to think? What kind of God are you, just to bring us out and slaughter us all? And so and then he renews his covenant. He renews the covenant, yep. and he and he and he continues to show his faithfulness to fulfill mm-hmm. what he's doing. We've been walking through Genesis with our kids in family worship time, and man, it's just so beautiful when you when you finally start to understand the covenants and you just see the gospel in every single chapter. I mean, with every, we're at chapter thirty-seven now with the kids, and every single Joseph. one, yeah, you just got. <laughs> to Joseph and every single one, you see the gospel on display, you see God's grace, you see that it has nothing to do with you and me or what we're yep. capable of. It's always been about him. It's always been about our treasuring Christ above all else. And, and for me and, and our walk and where our family's at right now, that's that's been the, the greatest gift of all is that coming to the realization that we... We're his and he's ours. Mm -hmm. That's that's where life is actually found. That's where you find peace and power and assurance. And um, you know, I was I was just I'm just blessed that that was part of my um, you know how God made me to be someone who's Mm -hmm. uh, all in in these things and don't teeter or dance around. It's like okay, this is what you want me to do. Then I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure out how to do it. Um, to the best of my ability and in and, and accordance with your will and word and do it for your glory, Lord. So I think there's a lot of
0: value and just everything we're unpacking right now, just uh, all the dynamics and where God found you and and where God's going to bring you. So we're going to divide this into a part one and part two, just so that we can really explore these things and, and not have to condense them. So, um, Thanks for tuning in, and um, we hope you're going to join us for part two next week where we really dive into everything that God has done with Chris since, um, since that Easter morning when he accepted the gospel. Thanks for tuning in to The Voyager Podcast. If you'd like to reach out, you can reach us through Instagram at the Voyager Podcast. We hope this has been encouraging for you. Until next time.